The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination, eat, drink. A Shakespearean castle, a drink to keep you warm, and a pastry you can't call a Danish. I'm Brent Peterson. This week, we're in Copenhagen, Denmark, to try an overflowing sandwich and the new Nordic cuisine. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. All right. Hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with Bart Hansen, Sam Katuri. We're in the 16600 Tasting House. Can I do a, a take two on that? That was not. A, you know, that's another. You want to do a take two? No, no, no. I'm joking. Let's just keep going. No, there, there's. You know what? There's there's a reason why this is not a video cast. Right. <laughs> And what I love is whenever I, I thought it was our, that we have a face for radio. Numerous reasons okay. that this is not a video. <laughs> whenever, whenever we pour that first pour, it, we all kind of like look at each other like, "How was that one? Was it good?" That was not a good one. A lot of shifty eyes. Like that's that's our second label podcast. <laughs> shifty eyes with Bart, Brian, and Sam. There's definitely no glow glow going on. <laughs> Well, we're hanging out at the uh, 16600 Tasting House. It's a gray day in December. Our president has just been impeached, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know that that means anything. It doesn't seem like it does. Uh, it's, you know, it's um, filling up a lot of cable news minutes. Totally. When in a slow news time, uh, there's a bunch yeah. of producers and, and ad execs out there who are really stoked that people are watching CNN and Fox and MSNBC right now. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> and that concludes the po- politics section of today's Winemakers yeah, podcast. Because we get to hang out with Brene Royal from Monterosso Ranch. And you got probably... really above politics. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, it literally um, is well above politics. I don't know what that means. It's, it's an elevation joke, Brian. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought I thought we were going to get into something deep. No, no, it's it's sitting above. (laughs) Yeah, you're 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 up there. But (laughs) when I asked you how long took you to get up there, it seemed like it was a little quick. I think you're driving a little too fast on those hills. Probably, it is two point four miles. Moon Mountain Road's pretty wide, though. It's not like there's some other roads where uh, Cavedale, yeah, Norbaum, right. But but Trinity and Moon Mountain, if you know that road, you probably drive it faster than you should, but not as fast as you can. Right. Right? That's perfect. (laughs) Because I can get across Trinity quicker than I care to admit. It's amazing how close Glen Ellen is to Oakville. Yes. I mean, (laughs) it really does not take very long to get over that hill. That's weird, yeah. Yeah. In a truck, too. Right. Full-size pickup. Carrying 42 cases of wine. Yeah. Yeah. I did it one time, though, and 14 cases of the wine ended up in the creek because I went around one of the corners a little too Just. fast. Yeah. Yeah. But that's another, amateur hour. Yeah. I was Wait, an did amateur. You, did you stop too. and get those out? Or oh, absolutely. I was my first job in the wine business, and I thought for sure I was fired, but I cleaned it up really well. And then I brought the other 14 cases over. So anyway. you, break, you break bottles? Oh yeah, Chardonnay <laughs> Creek—that's what we called it. 
Beltane Ranch Chardonnay in the creek. Yeah. Yeah. Sonoma, where the creeks flow with Chardonnay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Knew I'd... Well, Brene, you have the job that I think a lot of people want. You don't think that's true? You can say, If you can see her face right now, she's giving me the, hmm, you really I think mean, so? You guys can all attest... Whatever you see on social media is the glamorous side of farming day to day, especially mine. I feel like my social media is a catfish. Yeah, I don't look but, like that day to day. And right, <laughs> it's well, it's certainly more glamorous than any of the rest of our social media. Right, right. But, but, I mean, but, but but what I will say to Brian's point, I think, is that there's a lot of managers that would love to farm that piece of property. Yes, I will. Say, yes, so I, I totally agree. I think. I didn't even really understand the magnitude of when I was told to apply for the job. And I was an intern um, on Monoroso prior to um, coming back full time and, and working as the vineyard manager. And, and to be totally frank, Monoroso was my least favorite vineyard because of the complexity, because of how isolated it is. And, and the fact that there's a lot of pressure with that vineyard. Everybody is watching. Um, everyone knows when good things happen and everyone knows when bad things happen and so you're you're under kind of this this spotlight of farming that ranch but I think it took two weeks after I um, became the vineyard manager that I was like wait a minute like (laughs) you landed on a pot of gold Um, it's truly a job that I I didn't ever know that you know would be a bucket list item like I wake up every day and I'm constantly reminded to pinch myself because you really can't have bad days out there, even on the toughest days right. in the season. So um, I, I think I'm still kind of coming to terms with how great my job is. And I can totally attest to people thinking like, you know, it is the best thing in the world because where do you go after Monterosso? Like that's a short list. There aren't too many vineyards that I, can I ride my bike up there and I look around and I'm pretty amazed that that is heaven on earth up there. It I mean, really is. Sit there on that little, I don't know, do you call it an outcropping or a little plateau and mm-hmm. the valley just know. falls off below you. In in like three directions. Right, yeah. right. Um, it, it, the, there's a thing that I always say about the old vine vineyards in Sonoma, um, which is, you know, you, you, and almost all of them, you stand in the middle of them and you look around and you realize that they really are like, the choicest vineyard locations in the valley. You know, you feel like that when when you stand in the middle of Bedrock and look up at Monterosa. You stand in the middle of of Old Hill and you stand at Rossi and you look and you have that view and all those different, you know. And and so Monterosa, as sort of the, it's really the first famous mountain vineyard in California and you stand there and you look around and you go well yeah if you were going to plant a vineyard in a mountain in California in 1886 um, there was probably a clearing and you know Manuel Goldstein probably went up there and looked at and I can see the bay I can see Santa Rosa I can see you know all of whatever they called Carneros then Um, I said yeah this is this this is the spot right i mean well yeah i was i i'm always kind of um i guess amazed by that as well because the aspect of monoroso is so clutch for like the perfect growing conditions 
Monte Rosa goes from an elevation range of 690 feet up to 1,300 feet. And if you look at all of the 100-plus-year-old vines that are out there, they're all on, like, this perfect aspect. They're getting a lot of sun during the day. In the peak of summer, we can see 16 hours of sun. They're also planted to the right varieties. Like, we've got 79-year-old cab out there, but our 126-year-olds in are all on these southwest-facing aspects that are just perfect for Zinfandel. We've got some semi on that sitting at about a thousand feet elevation on a slope of maybe six or seven degrees, but it's just perfect. And when looking at that, you're like, there's no way back in 1886 they have the technology that we have today. And they still make the decision to plant those parcels of land on that vineyard in the most perfect aspect. So it... It speaks to just the ingenuity of Emmanuel Goldstein and his thought process when planting that vineyard. Well, and then, years and then also to those that took care of the vineyard for the decades after that didn't pull them out. <laughs> and obviously there have been a lot pulled out over the years, mm-hmm. but you know, it, isn't it great that as much is still up there as, as is how much, how much, yeah, how many yeah. acres of old vine is there? Well, can we just do like a full, can you just give us the, yeah. the, 10,000 foot, which means that you're about 9,000 feet above Monterosso. <laughs> um, overview, you know, the vineyard age, size, there's, you know, how many hundred million different varietals. You actually had a great post on your Instagram the other day about um, all, and the nerd out, like all the different types of, of trellises and pruning systems that you're dealing with right now. So just kind of like, Give everybody who's not as familiar with it as um, we are just as the scope of what farming Monterosso means. It's not just like you have a block of vineyard right. in the middle of Napa Valley and it's square and it's flat and you know maybe it flows a little bit towards the river. Um, it's a little more complicated than that. Yeah. Uh, so Monterosso was established back in 1886. So Manuel Goldstein and Samuel Dreyfus came out in the 1880s and started cultivating the land and they actually planted 45 acres which is now 250 acres planted to grapevine but the entire property of Monterosso is 575 acres. Um, throughout the years we've had on record 23 varieties but present day I'm farming 10 varieties. My biggest one Cabernet Sauvignon at about 118 acres and then at a distant second now is 85 acres of Zinfandel but I also have Sangiovese, Petite Syrah, Cab Franc, Malbec, Grenache, Petite Verdot, Syrah and Semillon. So oh. those are those are all my kids. Um, we It's <laughs> a nice are, little lineup isn't it? <laughs> My my age of vines, um, we have stuff that we planted just a couple months ago, and then some of the standouts is 79-year-old Cabernet Sauvignon, which we believe is the oldest in the state of California. Then we've got some 126-year-olds in, and then we've got some 133-year-old Semillon. And the Semillon, right? It's tape, so don't, I'm not, yeah. Don't. So we got the, the old Semillon. It's, um, it's like the oldest Semillon in the world, though, right? So we're 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 looking that up. I've heard it's the second or third oldest. Yeah, that's what... Let's that's go pull, up, had, let's go pull out those older actually, ones. Yeah. Fuck those guys. <laughs> 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 Tell us where they are. Right. Um, Fire up your chainsaw, Barton. 
<laughs> um, we've got 64 blocks, so actual designated blocks, but the way we farm in multiple sub blocks, we've got about 105 different sub blocks. It's all done by hand. The vineyard is planted in a fairly homogenous red hill clay loam, so very iron rich volcanic soil. Um, as I mentioned, it's got the elevation range of 690 feet up to 1300 feet. So we, we don't frost protect, but you can certainly run into different microclimates throughout the vineyard. Um, it is southwest facing, so we're region two vineyard. We stay pretty hot. Um, rattlesnakes are an issue. Um, and region two vineyard is that? That's some like went to f- no farm school stuff that that's, I. Didn't. That's some old optimal, Davis reference. Yeah, yeah, optimal growing days okay. or hours. Uh, okay. um, How many and then, different winemakers do you deal with? Woo, that's a good question. Currently, in house at Gallo, six. And then outside four. Okay. That's been cut down quite a bit, right? That's been cut down immensely since the acquisition of Orrin Swift in 2016. Right. So prior to that, I had about 25 outside buyers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, what was I going to say? I think one of the most important parts of Monteroso is the team. So I still get to work with some of the original members of the team. And this year, uh, the irrigator is celebrating 38 years and all the operators are sitting between 25 and 38 years. So the level of experience out there is immense, um, which I think makes my job a little bit easier when you start factoring in all of that complexity. Um, We've got nine different training systems or trellis styles, um, and we've got 16 different spacings. So our largest block is a whopping 12.39 acres, and our lowest or our smallest block is 0.49 acres. Average size is about 2.75 acres. So a lot of tiny parcels. There's not a sign on anything. So if you're looking at a map of Monterosso and you're actually standing in the vineyard, you have to come up with kind of landmarks to figure out where you are. I think it took me about a a year and a half to, to know the vineyard day or night without looking at a map. And I, I think I'm the only person that knows the vineyard blocks by numbers. Two thirds of the vineyards have names or the blocks have names. So the, the first time Julie and I went out there, we had a map that we were trying to follow, but it was easy for us because we were looking for the semi on. Take, take left at right, rock. Looking for the semi on. The, the only, one white The only white grape out there. So we just Is drove that it. Until, no, that's yeah. raw. Uh, well, there's the Petit Verdot. Eureka, we found it. Um, why no signs? What the fuck? It's rustic, man. I, You know, I actually thought about putting signs when I was an intern because I was so angry about it. But then when I came, became a venue manager, I was like, oh, no, like, this is good. Like, we keep it. The Gallows, way. they're old Italians, man. Are they it's struggling? Are they struggling for money? They can't. I think it's, it's, a, it's a small, you know, it's family run, small operation. I mean, duct tape, some of that blue painter's tape or something would Spray probably work. would work. Right? I don't know. <laughs> Arrange some rocks in the ground, you know? <laughs> That's what we do. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we use rocks as markers. I know, because at, People some, always ask. at some point, like, if something happens to one of you guys, someone has to know. <laughs> right. where, you know what I'm saying? Let's say you guys are at a company party. Uh, I, okay, I don't want to wish anything yeah, bad. Yeah, what I'm saying is... In it, PR, we had, we had a... It was... We had a folder, like a binder for every client, and it was the hit by the bus binder. And if whoever was in charge of that client got hit by a bus, somebody could pick that binder up yeah. and know everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah totally. 
So I have a solid that's team. Why, that's why they live on property. Like, there's no buses. <laughs> right. Man, we don't bring up buses. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I have a solid team. And so I, I stick with the same 25 people day in and day out. So anything I know, they know. Yeah. So you're not going to get out there and, and knock on wood, get hit by a bus. But our team is experienced enough where somebody new was coming out there. Like when I have a lot of winemakers coming out, whether I'm on site or not, people are aware that they're there and, and somebody knows what block they're looking for and they yeah and they have a general idea right. they've probably met with me before to know where to go right i yeah. i rarely get the straggling winemakers that try to figure it out on their own right but who's making decisions about like you said there's a lot of different things going on in that vineyard is it the people that are buying the fruit from you is it the individual winemakers like who's making those decisions or you just told to provide the best fruit possible and then they do their job from there so who like so who makes the decision on selling wine no no the decision on how to grow the wine or how to when do i mean all the little decisions all the farming decisions are that's you but it but does it change for those different blocks if you know that this specific person is buying those grapes or this is the goal that they're looking for at the you know, at the end of the day uh, to make this sort of wine. So you're, so you're tailoring your farming practices. Totally. So, I mean, I have a chain of command, um, but I know the vineyard well enough. Uh, when we're farming for different wine styles, that's where all those sub blocks come in. So mm. even now that when we're redeveloping blocks, how we set up irrigation, um, how we set up different trials, how we line up the clones and the rootstocks together. That's all going in, knowing what wine style we're kind of looking for. But on our older stuff, like if I'm farming for an outside buyer, I usually start collaborating with that winemaker early on. I'm like, here's what we normally do. And here's what that farming gets us as far as wine style and wine quality. If you'd like any tweaks, let's talk about it. So I try to be as transparent as possible. And I, I try to let the winemaker have as much influence that is economically possible for us to execute um obviously it's it's definitely not a cheap uh cheap cost to to buy monoroso fruit so i try to make it worth the winemaker's while to say yes i've had enough influence in there and i'm not just farming how i want to farm and i hand off whatever you get um so there's a lot of collaborative efforts with winemaking and that will drive you know, how I'm going through with a certain farming practice. Like I mentioned prior to the start of the podcast that we're coming out with some new Monterosso wines and I'm still working with the same set of 25 Cabernet Sauvignon blocks. I got to figure out some way to tweak that to make it a little bit different than the Cabernet Sauvignon that we already have. Um, So while we're going through and and looking at pruning strategies, I'm going to try something new in those sections and I'm going to run that, you know, up the chain to get buy-in and to to have it make sense for everybody to see if we can actually execute because we are still running a business. But how do you start tweaking those differences so that you don't have 25 different Monterosos sitting out there that actually taste all the same? So we do farm very meticulously throughout the vineyard. Um, and I actually spend a lot of time with winemaking, walking every single block that they're working with 
um, in-house or outside to decide what we're looking for. So we'll farm, you know, benches differently than swells or peaks in the blocks or the age of vine will come in. Um, if we have some dry farm blocks, obviously I got to keep those at the higher end of the prior priority list out of all 64 blocks. So it's very strategic how we how, try to how go How much down. of it is dry farm? Because I know a lot of it, right? It's about 20 acres, so it's oh, not too okay. much anymore. Okay. Although this year, having as much rain as we did, we effectively farmed the vineyard as a dry right. farm. So you can do it. Um, I know a lot of people like dry farming. I personally like having irrigation in the blocks if you ever have to like pull the trigger on anything. Um, But we are able to farm majority of Monterosso as dry farmed and and we're pushing towards more of that. I have a lot of access to water, but we don't necessarily need to use it. And if I don't need to, I'm not going to. Do the um, in-house winemakers, do they kind of negotiate for the different blocks? I mean, do they have their, do they have their preferences and, um, they protect their their blocks and 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 are always like maybe asking like is there anything of this coming available? I, I mean, Certainly. just in general, no, yeah. oh, all the time. It's yeah. it's a it's an interesting conversation yeah. being in there. You get a lot of like you know at Thanksgiving or you know Christmas, you get a lot of extra gifts from some the of the winemaking staff. <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> um, Address all gifts to Brene Royal. And- the top of the hill. Send to the vineyard, not to the wine. Plain brown wrapper. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's always fun Vintage when we... Vintage champagne. Just a thought. <laughs> or drop it off at my door, which has happened, <laughs> personally. Um, no, it's, it's always fun when we're going through with, with grape supply and kind of looking at how programs are either going to change or grow or anything like that. And there are some blocks that are strictly designated to certain programs. And then there are others that are flexible and surprisingly, it's not as combative as I think people thought. I remember when we acquired orange lift, I don't know if you guys are aware, but Dave, Finney actually started the original prisoner off of fruit right. on Monoroso, so he right. was, was. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. He he was, was, I knew that. I it thought was, it was always Napa fruit in the prisoner. Monterosso. So he was ecstatic to get back to the vineyard. I remember, I think the the signature was just drying on the paperwork when he drove out there and and wanted to get another, you know, get reacquainted with the vineyard and figure out where those particular blocks were going to see if he could get them back. Wait, and so is that what it's, is the prisoner being made from Monterosso fruit now? No. 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 Constellation owns the Constellation prisoner. Owns. Oh, Jesus, I can't keep track of it all. And yeah. and it's now it's I believe it's a California red wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, Monterosso been hasn't been. It was yeah. only in the first two vintages. I yeah, because then it went, then it went Napa, Napa Valley, Valley right. and then it went North Coast, and then it went. There was a time when basically, if you any not Cabernet grown in Napa, the prisoner would have either called you about or was already buying. Like if you had Napa Valley's Infandel. It was you were you could sell it all to the prisoner, and hmm. then it and then it expanded and you know that market changed. But yeah, so Dave was I mean coming in, Dave wanted to get realigned with Monterosso and figure out how he could continue to grow 
um, not just with the company, but with Monterosso specifically. He has a lot of love for that vineyard, as all of the winemaking teams do. So it's not nearly as combative as I think people imagine it to be. It's actually pretty civil in those meetings. And certainly when we're building the goals, if there are blocks that are coming in under yield that we could probably handle, you know, a half ton or, or we take some stuff away, we'll fluctuate that and then we'll kind of deviate out the the blocks that people in-house want and then we'll kind of save some for outside buyers and who can i ask a question yeah in the the you're talking about new monoroso wines happening are some of those am i allowed to, are you allowed to say are some of those dave finney wines that are coming no so is there any, there's going to be any like Oren swift or dave finney monoroso labeled wines is that i'm can't imagine that that's not somewhere down the road. Okay. Um, but as of right now, the new Monterosa wines are not going to be made under Orange Swift or Louis and Martini. Oh, really? So interesting. They will be Monterosa centric. Vineyard designated brand. Vineyard designate. We haven't figured out kind of the trajectory we want to take it, but um, with all of the publicity that I've been able to bring to both the vineyard and the company. We're kind of just growing off of that. Um, so I know. Are you going to be the winemaker? I hope not. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that was a great look. I wish we could have caught that on uh, camera. What? I mean, I'm kind I of mean, the winemaker. I'm the vineyard manager. Well, right. So. No, no. I mean, <laughs> wine grower. Yes. Wine grower. Yeah. Well, I'm just, the winemaker I mean, before the winemaker. We have all these wines open. How come we're not tasting any of them? Parts, what? parts blocking. I'm, I'm tasting. I have parts tasting. I have. I don't know what went on here last night, but you got a lot of wine. So last night was the uh, Enterprise Vineyards uh, Holiday Wine and Cheese Party, um, where Diddy Vella puts out one of the most insane uh, cheese tables you'll ever see, and we open a bunch of Enterprise Vineyards grown wines, and it's like staff and you know the the. yeah, there's the a lot of engineers still come. hanging out in there's the cellar right here. now. You know what? We ate. A, there's usually there's a lot more than that leftover. We ate a lot of cheese last night. <laughs> well, I, can I just say on a total side note that it was great to have um, Diddy Vella here the other day while Allison Kilmer was doing the Miyoko's plant-based cheese tasting for us with Diddy Vella in the house eating the cheese. It was a, a clash of the titans. You know, did he? Uh, did he got some of the cheese on that table last night? Was the Miyoko's cheese? Nice. Um, so it was. You know, it was a part of. It was not uh, a substitute for, but it was. And, you know, it's a cheese. And and like, did he? So at this table, there's all these little cards, and each one says what the cheese is. Um, so this year, I don't think she did where it's from. Usually, she does what the cheese is, where it's from, either country the, or state. These aren't all Vella cheeses, then. No, okay, they're cheeses from all over the world. Okay. And then what type of milk it is, you know, whether it's sheep, cow, or goat, or a blend, uh, or blend. Oh. And then so on the Miyoko's, it was you know Miyoko's whatever the flavor was, and and just said cashew. <laughs> Have you had any of, of that, Brene? The Miyoko's, there's the plant-based cheese and then the butter, which is our, just the... Yeah, the butter, which I ate like cheese. Yeah. It, <laughs> it tastes like French butter. Yeah. And it's it's, so there's good. no yeah. dairy at all in it. Anyway, very, we did a tasting there that was, that was amazing. Yeah. All right, sorry. Sorry to get off on That's your... That's right. Mm. So we'll skip right over... 2008 Bedrock Old Hill. Yes. It's delicious. Freaking delicious. Yeah. We'll skip right over who's going to be the winemaker for these new wines. But um, 
Um, so who is getting the semi on um, these days? So Louis and Martini makes a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend. Okay. So they get a little bit of it. Right. Um, we actually sold back to Bedrock this year okay. to get some Semillon. Um, some goes to Orrin Swift for Blank Stare. Okay. That's and where I was then, wondering if, if some of it went to Orrin Swift. I'm trying to think of our other buyer. Oh, uh, Jeff Kruth of Guild Psalm picked up two tons. Okay. Huh. Cool. So he'll be making a semi on. That one's kind of all in the air. Um, not a lot of people do single varietal semi on. Um, and I, I hope we can do something with it in the future. I mean, it's it's a beautiful semion. It's it's fairly heavy. It's earthy. It's got a lot of citrus in it. Yeah. It's it's a beautiful semion, but not a big market for it. And it's, and it's one of those wines. Dangerous that, talk right there. It's one of those wines that goes really well if someone can kind of explain the wine to yeah. people. And, you know, if, if they're just given it without tasting it, I think sometimes the experience is lost on it. Well, and it's going to be there for as long as as I'm there. Um, we actually just went through and did some replants in there, and we'll be grafting onto it in the spring. So I'm filling back up that space, and I have zero plans to rip out anything old, as yeah. does the company. Right. So uh, we're going to continue to reinvigorate those blocks and make sure that they stay vital for however much longer. I Somebody asked me last night how long vines can last i was like i don't have a good answer for that there's 145 year old zinfandel what is that up in amador yeah who knows (laughs) you know i I feel like as long as you farm these old vines to um the best of their ability Mm -hmm. um and you don't overcrop them and you don't try all these hard things on them you can get them to last vines are they persevere through anything so As far as I'm concerned, those vines are going to be alive longer than any of us. <laughs> hmm. I had a vineyard manager tell me one time. He goes, a "Vines like a weed. If you could, if you could, you could grow it out of a crack in the middle of the highway as long as that cars wouldn't drive over it." You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's great. Yeah, um, they want to grow and they want to produce fruit, and what they need to be is. Trained and managed, right, right, Sam? Like we were saying, taking you know, taking care of, yeah, taking care of, yeah. Yeah. shown shown what to do to some aspect. Yeah. Well, Brene, how did you, how did you get this job? Because I know you didn't, yeah. you didn't, you didn't grow up in Sonoma. You didn't grow up on a vineyard. No, I think you were a product of Future Farmers of America. Yes, <laughs> Atwater FFA. Yeah, which which was really nice to hear because growing up in Petaluma, both Bart and I grew up in Petaluma. That was that was a big thing. Um, but just why today is the Chicken Makers podcast with Bart and Brian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, FFA, four years. See, I didn't show animals, but I was um, I built a dog house and I was very good at tying tying knots. Well, that, that sounds like the Boy Scouts. No, it was Ag Shop. Ag Shop. Ag Shop. Okay. Yeah, you got, your, how to you got weld. your dog house patch? Hey, these are all very, very, um, <laughs> these are all very, very relevant now. You know, everybody should know how to weld and um, fix things. Right? Life skills. Like life skills. Uh, Not everybody's going to college. But you were originally raising animals. Mm-hmm. I was raising pigs. Right. And then, and you started college, I think, around that time. In or did 20, you? Or, yeah, 2008. 
Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I originally um, joined FFA because it allowed me to travel. I mean, you were up. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> and and also, where's Atwater? Not something you normally associate with FFA. FFA. We joined FFA because we well, had the ability. Like, well, because I joined um, like the dairy products team, so I was traveling to different colleges to compete with Dairy Pro. So you just judged milk and cheese. I'm really good at it. Wow. Uh, wait, 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 wait. You went. You just went around the country to different <laughs> colleges and ate their cheese and drank their milk? And got can, scored can, on can just, how well that, you knew what was what. Can yeah. I just say one Is thing? Spoiled? Wait, wait, can you they were tell scoring you or you were scoring them? They were scoring us. So it's a bunch of students. It's a huge uh, thing, Dairy Pro. Um, and you judge milk and cheese. And you, so they usually had like 10 to 13 cheeses out and they would put these different. Um, different things in them to contaminate them so that you can pick them up. So it's different than tasting, same as tasting wine, but it's not wine. It's no, no, no. And you guys so call yourselves you Sonoma County the natives. How cooked it is. If there's oxidation, um, pasteurized uh, milk. Stayed fella cheese um, my whole life. I never had to know anything spoiled else. Spoiled milk. All these different components they would put in the milk for you to pick up and judge. And uh, you had a range on you know, how pronounced it was and, and things like that. Um, and then on the cheeses, you had to identify the cheeses. So they had everything from Munster, Provolone, Swiss, American, cheddar. But what was the purpose of having you pick out all those things in the milk? Was it, and was it the thinking that you're going to get into that, that industry and so that you need to be able to have that skill? Yeah, so FFA early on, like, lined you up. You weren't going to be one of those students that didn't, that went to college not really knowing what you wanted to do. And early on, I wanted to do animal science. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we just geared my path. And the traveling aspect was, yeah, you got to go to all these colleges across the state of California and sometimes outside of California to compete at these schools. So while you were at the school, um, our ag teachers would tie in a tour, would tie in all of us learning about what that school had to offer, showing us scholarship opportunities and things like that. So back in the seventh grade, when they started kind of showing FFA to us, it was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. Like, this is my way to get around and do different things outside of doing band and doing sports. I, I now have this avenue to travel and do things too. Right. So animal science was the goal. And I spent three weeks with that major at Chico state and quickly realized that it was not for me. Chico state does have a meats lab. They provide, I think 80% of the Angus to, uh, Sierra Nevada. It might be more now. Um, but I am not cut out for that emotionally. <laughs> and turns out plants don't moo when you cut them. They respond really, really well when you uh, prune them. So <laughs> I, uh, that's because they're dormant. Let's just get that straight. No, even plants when they're growing, feelings. they flourish. Uh, <laughs> so, so um, I changed to crops and horticulture. This episode brought to you by Miyoko's cheese. <laughs> um, I switched to crops and horticulture science, and it was in my last year that I started drinking wine, specifically Apothic Red. Um, oh, and... there's a plug. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it'll always have a place in my heart, but uh, they had a magnum of it at the last career fair because I was toying with the idea of going to UC Davis to do international what ag development. Apothic Red is a gallo? Yes. Okay. Yes, it's a red blend. Um but yeah, I was toying with the idea of going yeah, out to yeah, UC like Davis. Well, I no, just real quick on Apothic 
Rad, it was one of those wines that kind of like came out of nowhere. Like nobody really, when I was introduced to it, nobody really knew who owned it. They thought it was some new brand. Um, it was a red blend that mm -hmm. w was kind of in the line of the prisoner, right? Yes, you know, yeah. um, but before the prisoner, um, maybe not. No, it um, came out but but it was kind of in that line. It had a very a silk screened label on, and it was very eye catching. Mm -hmm. um, it was not the normal traditional California, and then at least for me, I found I was like, this is a Gallo product. You know, it was ten dollar wine. Yeah, yeah. It was. I mean, I my friend and I literally walked on the wine aisle for some reason. It was like we're gonna drink wine, and that label caught our eye. And that's, so is that the wine that you would say directed you to the my wine gateway. business? That's my gateway. That's your wine. gateway wine. Yeah, because I mean, I got to the career fair after being horribly confused. <laughs> I was graduating in a couple months, and they had a magnum of it, and it was like they were looking for a vineyard operations intern. And I literally, to this day, the gal that recruited me still works with Gallo and we'll have run-ins every so often and she's like I remember you just came up screaming that you love the wine and you needed to work for Gallo because you could probably grow it even though you'd never seen a grapevine in your life and <laughs> they gave me an interview two weeks later and it was a it was a two-hour interview across um a panel of eight people and they were like um it's not that daunting today. So, like, if you were to do an internship interview, it's, it's about 45 minutes. But at that time, it was two hours. Um, when, how, what year was this? This was 2013. Okay. Um, and they were like, okay, you know, uh, when would you like to hear from us with our decision? And I was like, well, my birthday is in about a week. So, if you have good news you know, give me a call, which I would never like direct anybody to ever say that. I was being super <laughs> forward. Like, yeah, give me a call. Cause I really want this job. And they called me a couple of days before my birthday and told me I got it. And they hired me a week out of graduation. So I have been there ever since I started working. Uh, I was on the, I was on Monterosa my third day into the job, but I worked across a couple of Southern Russian river properties as well. So did that. So what was your, what was it like your first tasks as a vineyard intern for for Gallo at all these different properties when you're 22 years old or so, right? Learn the just ranch. Of, just learn the ranch. Learn the ranch. We had 1,800 acres across six or seven different properties. Um, Brian's got to leave on assignment. See you, Brian. Um, learn. Right. The inmates have taken over the asylum here, Bart, me and you. <laughs> I'm just not going to touch right, don't anything. Don't touch anything. Except the stop button when we're all done. Or not. Just leave it running until the battery dies. Right. Okay. <laughs> that worked pretty good the other day. <laughs> yeah, learn. just learn the property. We had 1,800 acres. I was one of two interns assisting for the next seven months. Learn the property and, and get So this is like May or May, June? This is June 3rd. June 3rd. Yeah. And so everything is maybe start bloom or done with bloom at this point. Monterosa was there? closing down with bloom, if not already through it. This that was a super hot year. Yeah, June 2013. Um, and then the Pinot and Chard down in the Russian River was probably wrapping was like, up as well. Right. Yep. Actually, yes, because my first day was on Laguna Ranch and they were already leafing. Okay. So bloom was done. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was effectively learn the vineyard. Um, so that first week I, I went to every ranch. My first job on Monterosso was 
counting our La Labyrintho block, the maze. Um, it's 7.34 acres, and it's got rows that start within rows on a severely steeped uh, terrace block. Um, <laughs> I had to count that thing, like, upwards of 10 to 15 times because I kept getting confused right. and I was covered in like three layers of the dust that is Monterosso soil um, and affect like and decided I just really couldn't handle that ranch we had a number of rattlesnakes that year so I remember like it, and even true today when we have a rattlesnake everybody's kind of put on alert and we run through the training um and the rattlesnake is killed. The team likes to eat the rattlesnakes. So Tastes like chicken. as an intern, I was like, I am in over my head with Monterosso. <laughs> this isn't, you know, some valley floor vineyard where everything's flat and you can drive super fast on the ATVs. Right. <laughs> like you're more so hanging on to the brake the whole time you're at Monterosso. And how, and- how, how is your Spanish coming into the business? week i have four years of high school spanish and that was kind of still four years of high school spanish well and and, um luckily it's not vineyard spanish though is it It was not vineyard (laughs) there are a lot of words that are not actually in spanish um (laughs) but but the uh, gallo hires a tutor so for the first year and a half you can have a spanish tutor that that's brilliant joins you to go talk out to your team but something that's super funny when i took over it was like my first official day as the vineyard manager for monterosa in 2015 and i remember i'm doing like the worst broken spanish and when i get nervous i can't speak spanish or english so i'm like (laughs) talking to the team and the main operator stands up and goes in his broken english goes you need to learn more Spanish and I was like you're right you're right <laughs> I'm gonna go sit down because I remember I was trying to give directions we wanted to go out to E30 La Labyrintho to, to shoot then and everybody's looking at me and I'm pointing at a map and then they were like ah okay and they like figured out what I wanted and then I think it was the irrigator that was like, you really need to learn the names of the blocks. Like, we don't know the numbers. And I was, so it was just this giant learning curve. And now the running joke is that every year my Spanish gets that much better. So um, take it all in stride. The Spanish will come because you start latching onto words you never want to forget. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's, and that's what gets you through. And you learn fa- or f- phrases and then you try to relate those phrases to everything that you've learned. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah, and just speaking with an accent doesn't help. <laughs> right. You right. Well, and, like adapting a, an accent in English and then right. throwing in a few Spanish words. <laughs> right. No, doesn't Throw work. Throw an L on some words and then a couple O's at the end of some other words. No, uh, you, you, the, uh, 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 there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, luckily, I I think my thing is I can understand it really, really well. well Responding is is sometimes the challenge, um, but it it comes back pretty quick and. My goal was always to be able to talk to the team without it having to always be around work. So when we're barbecuing or we're just having a day where we're we're kind of just having a lax day, like I don't want to talk to you about work the whole time. So I want to be able to talk to you about your families and school and stuff like that. And yeah, it just awesome. kind of helps build the relationship there. So I've done a lot more work since uh, coming on in 2015 and mm. I can get by pretty easily mm. these days. Good for you. So wait, I want to go back to day three in Monterosa. Was that like you'd been in a vineyard before? No. So your third. Oh, your, so yeah, your I've third, been. the third vineyard you were ever in. <laughs> yeah. 
was Monterosso. Was, and was Monterosso. I mean, the yeah, Galilean. You, you were in it. You were <laughs> yeah. in over here. That was. Well, that was, what a contrast from those. Must have killed in that interview. Right? <laughs> right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that there were people that had more experience, Sam? No, I'm saying that um, that's a crazy thing to do from the company standpoint to send somebody into a vineyard of that complexity. Right. Who would, you know, with that level of experience. It was, they, took a, they took a flyer on that one that clearly... They knew what they were doing, or yeah. you, or you just smoked that eight-person, two and a half-hour panel. There's, well, I think um, something because I've I've been able to run the the recruiting process for our vineyard interns. I think something that the company really likes to see in people is a willingness to learn and work hard. Mm-hmm. Like they laid out uh, how challenging the internship would be and then just further even employment. Um, And I remember they kept laying into me about it. They were like, you don't... Because, I mean, I never show up really anywhere without trying to look my best. So I had makeup on. I was was trying to look cute that day and they were like, you won't be able to show up like this. (laughs) Like, you know, and I wore a suit. Everybody was wearing, you know, plaid and like khakis. Right. I wore a suit and they were just like, are you sure? Like, I remember they kept being like, do you know what you're, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Because it's not easy. That part of it makes it that much better. I love it. And I just remember being like, yeah, like I can, this is where I want to be. I, I like drinking wine. I want to grow it. Turns out with wine, everything you do in the vineyard influences the wine. So I think it's, it's beautiful to work in a product that you can literally taste your decision making in and, and leave, leave a mark on that wine and have people, have the consumers, you know, try it and give you their thoughts on it because I mean I don't think anything's ever wrong but it's interesting like every season you're making the best decisions you can make out there and every single job from intern to seller to winemaker to vineyard associate like everything in there is so important and so I love that wine showcases the best decisions we were able to make that year so it for me I I loved it before I got into it and then I got into it and was like, actually, I don't, I don't know about this. And then, and then stuck with it and realized like I landed in a place where I could really hone in on the craft that is farming. And even though we're doing the same thing year in and year out, you get a little bit better and you always have these different obstacles that you can't control kind of thrown at you. So you have to get smart. So you're constantly evolving to create this product that you know, is probably going to live longer than you. So That's, I, I love it. That was awesome. <laughs> well, I don't know if we have to ever record another episode. Uh, right? Yeah. I mean, that was like, uh, yeah. we, all right, well, thanks for listening over the last couple of years, guys. And uh, we're going to reevaluate what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. Um, no, I... I you know, that's amazing. It's I mean, amazing that to to have the the career arc and the learning curve and where you know that the steepness of your climb um fitting that you're at Monterosso to go from you know running towards a magnum of apothic red at a career fair to um 
you know one of the the rising stars not of not of gallo or you know of our industry in general um because that's yeah. that was that was quick it, <laughs> you, know, you went you climbed that was a that you know that was a wild climb yeah. yeah but you you obviously are very passionate about this um you seem to have a pretty clear uh view of what you want to do and that certainly helps and yeah. and, and and gallo is a very dynamic company you know um uh, for all the all the things that we think we know about Gallo, we know nothing about Gallo, and um, you know they're a very dynamic company, and they're doing a lot of different things. Um, yeah, so. and I, I would say even back to the interview with uh, for my internship, like when Monterosso, the vineyard management position became open, I was one of three people that ever managed that or had worked in full capacity on that vineyard because I came back full time as a viticulturalist. So So after your seven month of Yeah, so did seven months and then I left for a month and a half and then learned that the position for the viticulturalist in uh Southern Russia River in Monterosa had opened up. I'd created enough relationships that I drove right up to Santa Rosa and was like talking to the the hiring managers and saying, you know, I really want this job. And so they hired me about two months after my internship ended. I came back right to the same area, but now I was full time. Now I was doing the technical side of farming. And then 11 months into that role, I was told to apply. And I remember when I was told and they were like, we need you to apply. And I had heard rumblings, you know, that I could potentially be up for it. But in my way of being my biggest, um, my biggest enemy, I was just a lot of self-doubt because I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I've I've only been in this job now for closing in on a year or a little over a year. Um, and Monterey is a big job. Like we that's like one of the crown jewels of the company, if not the crown jewel. And so I was thinking, you know, no, I'm too young. I'm not going to get that job. The time I was 24 and um I remember they asked me to apply, and that interview was four hours across four different people. Wow. And um, I remember I was riding the ATV at, AT- or at Monteroso, and a couple of my directors came out, and they were like, hey, like, do you have time for lunch? And I always have time for lunch. I mean, who doesn't? But, <laughs> as, of course. <laughs> so What was for lunch that day? <laughs> Cafe Chiti. Huh? Oh, so we good. went there, and they said, they laid out, you know, everything coming up. And I was like, are you guys telling me what I think you are? And they were like, yeah, you got the job. And so I was, you know, just floored because I was like, what? You know, huh? Monterey is my first vineyard that I've ever managed. Um, it was nuts. I still have to, like, think about it. But Gallo, so I, did- for me, I feel like Gallo just saw something in me that I'm just now kind of accepting like it's hard for me to like not feel like I'm being arrogant or trying to come off that way I'm very grateful for all the opportunities but I'm also grateful that there are people at Gallo that can recognize when somebody is going to step up to the plate and that's not just speaking about me but there's been a number of um, amazing individuals and 
they kind of let you learn trial by fire. I think I cried every day, 2015 vintage. <laughs> every day was a new day. It wouldn't have mattered if it was your first gig <laughs> as a vineyard manager. I think everybody cried every day of the 2015 vintage. Right, right. It was wine of tears, 2015. Yes, at least, well, I think the reprieve now is like, those wines are actually killer. But yeah. But, oh my God, 2015 sucked. It was so hard. It's so hard to say something nice about 2015. Right. It's so hard. And made good wines. That's what, I mean, that's that's what you say about 2015. But the, yeah, the wines are amazing. There wasn't a lot of them and they made good ones. Yeah. So if you can find a 2015, pick it up. One one is a question. The other one is a statement. I'm wondering if you feel that it's fair. I I know, I know a lot of people who came out of college and got sales jobs with Gallo. Mm -hmm. And Gallo um, hires pretty aggressively um, because they like to train people. They like them fresh out of college and like to train them in the Gallo style and stuff. And and that works well for them. Um, do you think some of that is kind of like for you? You came fresh out of college. They were able to kind of imprint on you. You seem to adapt to it. Um, and that was a little bit of it that, you know, you, you worked within well within the company. And then were there some mentors that you had going along that you might want to, you know, mention or that helped you along that like people that have influenced you in the company that brought you through? Yeah, I would say I believe in mentorship so much. Um, I've had a number of them. Um, one of my first bosses, Blair Mitchell. I hope he's listening, or he will listen to this because I'm gonna send it to him. But damn straight, Blair, um, you better listen. <laughs> Deb uh, Jurgensen, um, Jim and Collins. I-, I had a lot of people. Kind of, I mean, so this is, I guess, getting away from it, but. I was one of the only females when I first started back in 2013. And even in 2014, I was one of the only females. And oh, by the way, I'm also black. So it was just as... You probably weren't looking around a lot of rooms and seeing people who looked like you. No. And and so that was something that frequently came up because I just had this natural insecurity. And luckily, I'm outspoken. So I've always tried to look at it as like this advantage because... People are going to know my name regardless if I've introduced myself or not because I already stand out. And people are going to be wondering why I'm in the room because normally they're not thinking I'm in vineyard management. Like I still kind of get that to this day. They're not are thinking. Are you in a, mar- maybe you're you're a marketer? I'm a marketer. Come to yes. sell us some insurance. She's, right. she's wearing a suit. I mean, Who's she's dressed up really nice for this. Look yeah. at those Look at those nails. She must be a marketer. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely not. Definitely in not pruning vineyard vines. Yeah. But, um... Uh, so I, I think a lot of people recognize that that might be something that I was insecure about. And so I had a lot of people just letting me be a listening ear and allowing me to start learning just the different channels and how to manage being in Gallo. Um, cause it's a giant company. There are so many ways you can take your job. There's not this one set in stone. And early on I was told you have a different skill set. You are very different. Like, what do you want to do? We will build towards you. And they've invested a lot in me. And so, um, for everything that it's worth, like Gallo will invest in the people that they see will 
kind of transcend them to that next episode. And I think that's why my climb has been so quick outside of the fact that I can do my job to a pretty high degree and, and, and good ability. You wouldn't have, uh, it wouldn't have lasted <laughs> if you sucked, right? I mean, but, if you would, if the, you know, but they've, they've invested a lot in me. And, and certainly now that I get to experience, you know, the media side of it and, and I've, I've gotten some really great publications. It's we're all trying to grow off of that and um, just just kind of showcase Gallo in a different light that I don't think people automatically see. Like people hear Gallo and instantly balk in my right, or they have something that they like and then they find out it's Gallo and they and go instantly Are you hate sure? it. Yeah, like no, I don't think that's right. Right, and and so I I hope I'm doing that a little bit of justice because I. I have so much support from the Gallo team up and down the chain. Um, and that hasn't just been the case for me. There's a, there are a plethora of vineyard managers at Gallo that are doing amazing things. Right. And so I hope I'm able to kind of shift this light and, and this idea of Gallo's reputation and give people a little bit more insight as to just how good of a company Gallo is. Um, we're not perfect, but we're certainly not as terrible as some of the right. things I've it's heard. It's not all <laughs> jug wine from... Right. It's not all jug wine, um, no. And, and I think part of that, in the last 15 or 20 years, the, the portfolio of vineyards worth showcasing has increased in a way, you know, especially even in the last, you know, with, with the stagecoach and... Paul Meyer. You know, Paul Meyer. Yeah. Monterosa was 2002. Two. Okay. But, but you know, yeah. even to go beyond that, the, the, you know, as I always say when I age myself, when Gallo... That's what we do. We age, right. We're aging. When, when Gallo bought job. that property <laughs> on 101, I don't know what you call it. one oh one. No, no one. Well, two rock, yes, but one hundred and one north of um, Healdsburg on the west side, that goes all the way to Cloverdale. Borelli Bar- or Asti, Asti, Asti. You know, and they planted all Which that, was and the developed all was colony, that. Right. Well, this Part, is on the, yeah, west, the west side, side so right. I don't know what it was. I, I don't think it was ever vineyard land. I think it was just open land. But but at that, they made a big stake in Sonoma County. I mean, they already had a big stake, but they made another stake in Sonoma County. And at that point, there was like people would say. And that was like the 90s, right? That was like the early 90s. I remember driving up to. So it wouldn't have been Asti then. It would have been Borelli. Okay. So it was big or, it, was, it, was big. it was really big. It's Borelli. And, and, and they had also done the the Stony Point property and they had made this big, mm-hmm. this big investment in Sonoma County. And, and people would say, well, if Gallo Sonoma takes off the way they want it to, there won't be enough grapes in Sonoma County to supply everybody else. You know, um, real quick, just to give more, uh, a plug up to Maya Thomas and Braden. This is important. Uh, 2015 Maya Thomas Chardonnay number two wine, wine no, spectator. Cabernet. 20 Cabernet. I, I bought, the Chardonnay <laughs> took the Cabernet. Right. <laughs> um, they, they made a big investment and started moving towards not being jug wine anymore. You know, um, so that, in my memory, kind of started then, um, and they've obviously continued because they've been buying all these iconic properties, and they have the ability to do it. You Gallo's know? goal is to have a wine on everybody's dinner table. In the United States and probably across the world, like we want to have a wine for everybody. 
So there is some drug wine still being out there. And I would say those are for all of the entry level people. Like who wasn't drinking Carlo Rossi in college? Well, like, well right. Or, or to give a shout out. Buy the jug. Or, or to, give a, a to, to give a shout out to my good friend Jen Wall, you know, yeah. with, with Barefoot. Barefoot. I mean, look what Barefoot has grown into by Gallo. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and, and that's got people who didn't drink wine. They're drinking they're drinking wine now. Yeah, and I mean, we're not going to have, um, you know, maybe Carlo Rossi or, or Barefoot on our tables, but we might have some Monterosos. We might have some Stagecoach. We might have some Palmeyers. But there's this giant range of, of wine for everybody, which I think is really cool. Um, and not a lot of people have that opportunity to make the $5 wines and then the $250 wines. And so I, I think people's perception is that we're solely jug wine. And I still get those questions on tours and different things that we do out there. And I'm like, oh, so limiting. <laughs> I'm sure you're drinking a gallon of wine that you don't know is well, gallo. Yeah. I think we're, we all have had that experience. <laughs> like, you're like, whoa. Uh, so let's talk. <clears throat> let's talk about 2019 for you. Um, because it has been a, a woof kind of, you know. Um, some some big splashes. Um, so just maybe you know, pop your collar a little bit, toot your horn. What you know, you, you had you had Esther Mobley, yeah, big feature. You've been all over the country. It seems like yeah, talking to a lot of people, really sort of being out in front. What are some of the things that you're talking about, and and you know, how does it feel to to be you know this sort of you know in the, in the spotlight a little bit. You know, as a as a farmer, as so, also you know a farmer who's also a woman who's also black who also didn't grow up in the wine industry a little bit who also has a full set manicure outside of Harvest, <laughs> right? Well, you know, <laughs> the most famous thing about Brene not Monteroso, it's yeah. not all the like you know shattering barriers and and the whole deal. It's 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 farming with these nails and <laughs> just hard stop. Go back to Instagram and look at those hands. Yeah, that, that's literally the thing. Um, it's it's weird being like. I still think it's pretty weird because I I don't think I gave credit to how you don't cool. have an agent, do you? Right, not yet, <laughs> dude. It took us it took us only th- two years to get this podcast. So big tough PR department uh, <laughs> that um, might have more to do with us than them. yeah, probably. <laughs> I, I it's weird. I I don't think I gave credit to how cool farming is and how much people want. To know about, you know, grapes a bottle. I think that's something that's kind of changing as we see the consumer really want to deep dive and know where their wine is coming from. Um, but I will say it's weird having people come up to me. Like it happens within company meetings now, and they'll be like, I work with a celebrity. And you're like, No, wait, stop, no, the please. Celebrity is Monterosa. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But while on the road, I, I'm always talking about Monteroso and different Monteroso wines. Um a lot of 2019 has been diversity and inclusion. So how is it being a woman of color on the farming side, which is still predominantly white male? Um, how is that? I think people think it's a little bit more sensational than it than it actually is in the sense that they expect it to be this like, woe is me. It, it's so terrible when a lot of my allies have been not just my coworkers, but 
the Sam and Phil Katuris of the world. I can't tell you how many times I text Phil and I'm like, hey, can you come out and look at this? Or um, Morgan Twain Peterson or Jill Pe- or Joel Peterson, excuse me. I've had a lot of allies, and so it's always kind of interesting when, I, when I'll speak on a panel about certain things, and you can tell there are certain people in the room that don't hear what they want or they expect to hear. Sure. Um, but it's been a lot of diversity and inclusion, and that's probably been the most fun is being able to recruit and kind of showcase my career to inspire other people who are thinking of entering an industry that doesn't look like them. Um, it's been really fun having people reach out to me and, and just tell me how inspiring I've been to them. I think that's a reward I really didn't expect. And that's probably been the best aspect of being out on the road and being able to, sh- to have awesome. a face yeah, really cool. yeah. for people um, and, and making it a reality. Um, I've definitely had a very lightning fast career. I actually just got promoted, so I'll be at Monterosso a little bit longer. But um it's, it's been, what does that mean? You're like going somewhere else also, or are you... I'm hoping to build okay. out my right, my mean, portfolio of, of vineyards that I get to manage and okay. get to learn for. Uh, you still from. get to live at Monterosso, though? Get to be at Monterosso. Okay. <laughs> That's the only Tough. Thing. It's tough. Uh, <laughs> I was just looking, you know, in case there was a house coming available. <laughs> right. I like views. Yeah, uh, right. but, um, Don't mind a drive. Exactly. Yeah, Gallo used to do this thing where you'd spend a certain amount of time on... A vineyard, and then you'd rotate so that you learn different climates, you learn different varieties, and all these different things. And we've kind of moved away from that. I don't. So think you've they ever... didn't say your next tour is Modesto. No, they actually did ask if I wanted to be closer to my family, and I was like, they can visit. Right. <laughs> You're like, it's you know, it's not that far. It really isn't. It real. It really isn't. But uh, the media stuff has been. It's been. It's been cool. 2019 as a season though has. I don't think I've been as challenged since maybe 2016, 2017. But I, I guess that's just because 2018 was like this outlier year of like everything going really, Perfection. really well. And huge crops. Like freakishly and- well. Like weather was amazing. I, I made the mistake of saying that I was really comfortable in 2018 because then 2019 came and we had snow on February 9th. Right. And I already had like an inch of growth like mm. popping up. Uh, 2019 was was a challenge across the board and it's still a successful year. I, nothing really compares to 2015 for me at this point. Thank goodness. Um, but 2019 as a season was, was challenging um, just with all the rain and then the rapid growth in June, um, not having as many clusters out there, but then having larger than average size clusters in berries. So managing the disease pressure mid to late season was, was interesting. Um, as my team is getting a little bit older, training new people to, to have the, the passion and dedication to farming wine grapes. Um, since I do keep that team core to Monteroso, just having them understand that everything they do is going to have some like down the road effect. Right. So mm-hmm. more times than not, especially on those um, hundred plus year old vines, you need to be imagining how that vine is going to set fruit and, and how those positions are going to lay. Having people think about that instead of jamming through to get the job done. Um, that's, it's hard to teach appreciation. Do many of the guys in your team actually drink wine and enjoy wine? 
Yeah, they actually do. Yeah. I, I take them to the winery whenever I get a chance to yeah. just show them, like, here's what all of your hard work is doing. And this right. is why we're so tedious and meticulous with some of the things that we're doing. So, yeah, they'll drink yeah. wine. Speaking of which, were you that uh, Bordeaux Shiner right there? Yeah. you grab that? Because I tried the Syrah. These are wines that uh, Juan Oliveras, who works for Enterprise Vineyards, is the, the Norbaum Road lead uh, made. And so are these just, are these his wines or are these? These are his oh, wines. These are okay. like made, you know, they're, it's home wine. Oh, it's home wine. It's home wine, yeah. I was wondering if we had to, you know, look he out was, for a new label. No, no, this is, I don't, I, I don't, you know, he was, he was, he was a little bashful about it last night and, and kind of like bringing them in the side and kind of putting them behind the bottles on the, on the counter. But, um, you know, this is somebody who spends his day tending grapevines wanting to see the other side of it also and has been making wine for a, a few years now and yeah i think most of it is home consumption yeah um, i mean i i i i'm always curious in the winery you know if when the guys that are making the wine because it and it and it's different than the vineyard in that the guys in the vineyard they're looking for disease pressures and the things that can can become problems um, in the winery, the guys have to do that too. They have to smell every barrel and they have to, you know, be aware of those things. And I always think that if you have a crew that actually drinks wine and, and r- r- loves wine, um, they're more aware of it. They're more um, present when they need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and they enjoy their job a little bit more. And so it's, it's always just kind of something I'm curious about. There's a value in having the people that are actually doing the work, understanding it and being invested. In yeah. It. Yeah. That's probably my number one job is yeah. to make the people that are actually doing it invested in it because I'm not going to be out there forever and I'm not the one tending those grapes. Right. I'm leading the farming, but I'm not the actual person touching those grapes 10 to 15 times a year. And and, and that was also part of my question with like <laughs> those mentors or people that you've worked with along the way. I imagine some of those are some of the, the leaders of the Monterosa Vineyard crew is the guys that were there before you that you've you have to lean on them for their experience and then help guide them for to success right i failed to mention that and shame on me but uh 2015 i paid a lot of overtime from being lectured i remember there (laughs) one particular block um you're familiar with it driving in that middle road that dry farm cab up towards going up in towards yeah i left I left a lot of wood out there in 2015 and oh my goodness, two of the, two of the guys that have since retired sat there for two hours explaining to me why they did it or why, why I did it wrong and, and why we had to go back through and just do it right. To like fill in on the, the, the jargon there by leaving a lot of what you, there was a pruning decision that you made. Yes. Okay. That you're just, sorry for the, no, 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 it's, it's all good. Um, That's good. That that means it's real. Yeah. (laughs) Just fill it, you know, fill it in for the, the folks who I left many more positions out than what was normal or what was standard in the hopes of increasing yield. But these vines at the time were about 40, 41 years old. Not something you do. Um, not a lot more yield you can pull out of them. You're not going to get too much more. But 
I was coming in hot with a lot of ideas. Um, but I, I was I was lectured for two hours that day. And I remember I just sat there and listened. And that's how I spent most of 2015. I remember we developed my, my first block out there that we replanted. I was lectured every day of that replant. And I just sat there and listened. And part of that was and then, because... And then we're paying those guys overtime. Was paying those guys to, overtime. To lecture yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, first, number one goal in 2015 was gain the respect of the team. And you don't do that by being the boss. Like, you don't do that by putting yourself on a shelf higher than everybody else. And so... I listened. I sat there and listened. And there, I gained a lot of valuable stuff. And you can best bet we turned around and got those positions out of there. <laughs> and we re-pruned it. Um, but I needed them to understand that I had just as much respect for them as I was hoping to get back. And so... That's awesome. Once I got it, like, I, I don't get lectured as much anymore. But they definitely feel a lot more comfortable to have a conversation with me if I you know, say something that they don't like, or I ask them something that they're maybe not driving with and they feel a lot more comfortable. Something else I also do is every single Monday of every week of work, I'll present my plan. I like to be planned out by two weeks. So I'll plan, I'll present plan A, plan B and plan C. We're probably going with plan B and plan C because plan A is like this unicorn. Yeah, week of- slight Dutch dust of plan D. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of plan D and E in 2019. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it was, it's pretty much just showing them like, okay, here's where we're at progress wise. Here's what I see coming up. Here's this, that, and the other, is this feasible? And they'll have input. And I think getting that team or any vineyard team to give you valuable input is, is invaluable. Like they're giving you input. These guys have been doing their job longer than I've been alive. You can best bet. I know the least amount out there, but I I'm I'm in charge of leading the team. I'm in charge of bringing that up to everybody else. So like awesome. I need to take that invaluable knowledge and actually apply it and and utilize them because they'll see too I'm listening. I try to compromise everywhere and there are some things where it's a hard no, but more times than not if they're invested into my plan it, we're set. We're golden. Like nothing goes, nothing goes wrong within our control, and that is the best place to be, especially on an island that is Monteroso and where I am not <laughs> able to be on site a hundred percent of the time. I, I rely on that team to do my job with or without me there, and you only do that by having trust and respect mutually within the team. And that's something you know to get back onto the politics. That this is when you think about vineyard labor. Um, it's highly skilled labor. It doesn't. It's not you know in some work category of unskilled labor. This is these are people who are farmers who have been here for a long time on these properties, knowing how to do what they're doing. It's a skill and knowledge base that's that's irreplaceable. Yeah. Um, and you know, just in the in the realm of you know when people think about the people who work in vineyards and they think about migrant labor or they think about, you know, people who are traveling around and chasing crops. It's, it's not that at all. Um, and that really doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, the people who work on these vineyards, you know, the 25 people who work at Monterosa, the 125 people who work for enterprise vineyards are, you know, they're, they live in these communities. There are our our neighbors on that. They are the vineyard. I, I've always said you would not have the longevity or, 
the quality of wine you have without the people. So investing in people and 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 the vineyard team is my number one my number one priority because I don't have a vineyard outside of that. You think I'm going to be pruning everything? That picture that I took, I think I pruned 30 vines and that was like a record so far in 2019. Did you break did did you break any nails I did in the not process? Break okay. a nail. But trust me, I had a hand cramp that just say, was it was so was mean. Yeah. I went to boxing later that night and I was like I'm, I'm so surprised I can actually throw a punch right now, but um I can guarantee you I am not the one doing the work. I'll go out there and I'll, I'll certainly work across the vines. I think shoot thinning is really therapeutic. Um, but I'm not hitting all 250 acres of that. That's a team of mine that I want to be happy working in the vineyard. And, 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 and doing that's that something work. that's, you know, if you get the chance to come into a vineyard when there's a crew working and you don't, they don't know you're there or if they do know you're there the conversation that goes on and the back and forth between the workers and as they just kind of move through having the greatest day it doesn't matter if it's raining or if it's the most beautiful spring day there's always a communication going on it's 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 really beautiful Um, (laughs) if it's the world cup you'll hear you'll hear (laughs) whenever there's a goal Goal. from like a quarter mile away with all the honking and stuff it is a colorful conversation they've named my dog violet may is a black lab they named her la gorda and she's bilingual so like they will talk to her in spanish and she will just trot along with them like does violet may speak better spanish than you do (laughs) probably (laughs) i remember she wouldn't respond to violet may i had to call her la gorda even in my house and i was like why are you responding so like the guys think it's the funniest thing when she doesn't listen to me and then they'll speak to her in spanish and she'll trot right on over so it really is just like this family feeling out there and yeah if you join any of the conversations like please don't record anything but like it's just it's it's a very colorful don't tell hr funny, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah it's a very colorful funny like every like you're just kind of out there with your friends yeah. having that type of conversation yeah. while doing the work yeah. at like a decent right pace and i mean the amount of banter you know and yeah. and like during harvest with you know the 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 pace of the picking you know and you know the old guys giving the young guys a hard time for yes. being lazy and slow yes. and you know holding their own or or, or beating them and doing a better job that is real awesome. life yeah, that is great. real life yeah it's cool the fastest picker i know is juan Oliveras, who made this wine which is actually pretty good yeah yeah i have some ladies that are they go fast like it's it's almost like this thing that we look forward to um when we get to harvest we'll bring on this almost all woman crew and they just kill it and we're all standing back in just like amazement and 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 that's kind of a new phenomena in um vineyards isn't it sam i mean there didn't be there wasn't a lot of um women in the vineyard not even uh, not at your aspect but even just you know pruning picking and stuff um you know uh chewy always his sister always worked harvest but the rest of the year we didn't see her you know she was doing other family stuff or she would go back but now yeah there is uh with the lack of labor right um and the women are hard workers i mean I i think in all aspects from from vineyard labor to viticulture and and tech side and management side, winery side, right? Um, in the last, really, probably been five. It's only you know, it hasn't been that long, right. 
that has been a really very noticeable and, and very, you know, long time coming increase in, in um, you know, the diversity in general, but especially yeah. as far as, you know, men and women go right. uh, so, and all in all sides of the business. Right. And, you know, still with a but long way to go. But to me, especially like. Right. For, the you know, my entire life, I grow up in growing up in Sonoma, Napa Vineyards. Um, you never saw women working in the vineyards right. ever. Right. So um, one comment, I only met Diane and Jeff Baker mm-hmm. because Diane saw me in the Sangiovese block before the second cattle grid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she stopped her car, like came to a screeching mm-hmm. halt and was like, you're who I've heard of. And I was like, what? And she's <laughs> like, are you Brene? And I was like, who's putting it out there? Like, what's up? And she was like... At least she like, didn't ask you if you were lost. <laughs> yeah. She was like, I've heard so much about you. I've never seen, like, a woman out here. It was just freaking out. And I was... I remember being like, whoa, I have some crazy neighbors. But... Well, yeah. <laughs> which I do. For Moon sure. Mountain, for sure. I've got some wild sure. neighbors. But Anyone she, that you can... You know, anywhere, in any in all directions. They're all crazy <laughs> yeah. neighbors. Well, I just... I, I remember being, like, perplexed that she like a had knew my name but b was like so just like overwhelmed and then recently i started thinking about women in viticulture that i look i look up to diane kenworthy yeah. uh, maya Kamas olds shout uh, out to maya we gotta get maya on yeah, here we have to get maya she's on. like I'm the boss di- lady i'm having dinner with her tonight um, uh, tell her she was here last night at the Enterprise party. You know, she she's now Phil's boss at the Newton Vineyard. Although she says it's really not nothing's changed in that relationship. Right. But, but uh, you know, Theodore Lee, uh, Krista Scruggs. I know of five black women, including myself, who are um, vineyard managers in the United States. Like I, I, I feel like. There aren't a lot of women in viticulture, but then you have the stayholds like Theodore and Diane and Maya, and then you have like some newcomers like Krista and myself, and then a couple of other ladies I didn't mention. Like we're all kind of just paving this way for a lot of the female viticulturalists that are in support roles right now and looking to get to that that operational step, and then all the girls that are studying viticulture and knology, and even the ones that don't know they are going to end up in wine well and don't you think and don't you think there's a lot that just never even thought of wine as being an opportunity right that was me i just knew i liked drinking it so why (laughs) oh and by the way it comes from a plant right so i can probably do it probably ahead of some people you know (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) oh by the way i like drinking wine but yeah like it's just so crazy how this opportunity can can come along and I think that's what I'm most grateful for is like I was able to do it like yeah. I did yeah. not know I was going to end up in wine and now I, I don't think I can ever leave the wine stratosphere I don't think I'll always be in vineyard management and that's just because I'm too ambitious for my own good but I eventually want to be leading you know the the farmers of the future. I want to be leading people in my role now because I just, I still remember the day I got the job and, and how much that filled me with just so much joy. And to see that happening with people now, like it, that's what's rewarding. Like you're never going to get rich being a farmer, but you're rich in so much just value. You see that you're providing to other people, not just with wine, but the opportunities that the wine industry presents. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Now, I think that we can, you know, 
let's move past lamenting that there aren't enough people out there like you in this industry to celebrating that you're here and the work that you're doing to to fix that moving forward. Nah, I, yeah. I don't think there's anything else we should say today. I, I, <laughs> I mean, we could do some shout outs if we want. I don't know. We're, I think uh, if this is the last episode that goes out to end 2019, which I think it will be. Um, it, it, yeah, I have a I feeling we're going to have a hard time getting together before this. Yeah, no, we're um, I'm going. I'm going to dead show. We're sorry. wrapping up 2019. No, you are. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, this is, uh, you know, t- so let's just be part of the amazing press year for Brene for 2019. <laughs> you know, up. we're right up there with the Chronicle, and uh, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Sort well, kind of, maybe, <laughs> in that we're also in, Esther, also in, you also yeah, in yeah. California, Esther, are you probably listening? not, which isn't, <laughs> and, and, maybe and, she'll listen to this one because right. you're on it. And Esther, if you'd love to come on the podcast, we're here. <laughs> we'll let you, we have a forum for you. <laughs> Just don't bring any hard seltzer. <laughs> I don't think you will. But. Um, okay, well, let's wrap this up. I uh, want to thank everybody out there that's listening. It's been another I can't believe I'm saying this. Another great year for us with podcasts. We've had a lot of fun. It's been another great um, year in 2019. I think we're all looking forward to the new decade. Yes. Um, for sure. I guess. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm not looking forward to all of the 2020 puns that are going to happen for the next 365 new year, days. New right. Me. right. New, new 2020. Year. My vision is getting clearer. Paul's been saying it for like six months in the tasting room already. <laughs> The dad jokes, which apparently is funnier than I thought. I guess also. That's my first time hearing that one. Right. I, and I guess also. I take the, it all back. The, the New Year's Eve glasses with the two zero oh, and the two can, zero. No. They're, they, it's not. They won't be like really stretching that with like no, they have been for the last couple of years. Exactly. <laughs> well, there's been some stretches. 20, yeah. 2017 was a hard one to yeah. fit into <laughs> eye holes. The whole swag industry yeah. is very happy for this year. 2020. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, Brene, do you have any shout outs or anything Last you want to say for the year? Thank you guys for allowing me to wrap up my my press year right. with, uh, with, on the distinguished winemakers podcast we'll come back in 2020 and go Brene who right, right. huh you haven't heard who of her. is she no. no no thank you guys so much for just allowing me a space on your podcast and yeah and hanging out with me this Thursday afternoon yeah. thank you great Thursday Sam we got anything happy new year yeah happy yeah happy, happy merry Christmas happy new year uh, final Kwanzaa? Sunday will be over. Final Sunday's over. You it was a huge success. You missed a great one. It stopped raining. It was awesome. Right. <laughs> uh, Sunday was a beautiful day. Uh, yeah. Thanks for all the. You know, I think this was a year of like the most amount of podcast listeners showing up at the tasting house and uh, in, in email and uh, and you know that's cool. That's that's uh, connecting this weird digital thing where we talk into microphones and then people listen to it whenever they want to. Yeah. You guys are uh, a to great like community. actual real people showing up that you get to shake hands with right. and. Uh, is, is a cool thing. Share yeah. a glass of wine with. Yeah. Well, exactly. here's to a, an amazing 2020. As cliche as it's been to say, I think 2020 is going to be an like just an incredible year for a lot of people and a lot of things. And I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to go out and say that it's going to be the best vintage of the decade so far. <laughs> All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great holiday. Uh, we'll see you next year. <laughs>